Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Kiss Me Deadly. Interesting title. Mm. The book isn't bad either. I think you'll enjoy it. I'm sure I will, but is this really the right time to start reading a book? Well, maybe not, but I know how much you hate all this waiting, and my camera has certain qualities I think you'll appreciate. Mm. Such as... He's as tough as they come, and he hates waiting almost as much as you do. Oh, I like him already. Mm. It's a long sacrifice, Dan, that we put into the show. (laughs) Not too long of a sacrifice, but we do put a long sacrifice into making the show. We do. We put a lot of work into this. Takes a lot of time, but, uh, you know, ultimately I really think it's worth it. I really enjoy these, and uh, yeah, I I hope everyone out there enjoys them too. Well, at least you and I enjoy it, so if nobody else is enjoying it, we're enjoying it. So yeah, hi everybody, welcome to Positively Trek. I'm Bruce Gibson, and with me as he yeah always every single episode is dan gunther dan how are you i'm good you can't get rid of me i'm like that one sock that doesn't have a match that you keep finding in the drawer that you know just hangs around for whatever reason you can't get rid of it that's me and and are you holy absolutely (laughs) yeah the holiest of holies for sure I, I seem to go through a lot of socks lately. I don't know what it is. Maybe because I'm home more often and I'm running around in socks, but I've been getting holes a lot in my socks and throwing them away. I know that's not the purpose of the show, but I, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying that. I mean, are any of them Star Trek-themed socks? Uh, no. You got to get yourself some Star Trek socks, my friend. <laughs> I do. Maybe I should put that on the Christmas list. I do have two pair of Star Wars socks, but not Star Trek socks. Blasphemy. I know, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, that's so bad. Well, we are going to talk about Star Trek today. We have a comic series, a mini series that came out a few months ago, and it's four issues. And the fourth issue recently came out, so it's complete. And it's coming out as a trade paperback. And it's Deep Space Nine. Yes, we don't get a whole lot of Deep Space Nine in the comics, but we did this time. Thank you to this year. 2020 has been a great year. In terms of Star Trek. It really has. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's the only thing that's keeping me going. But this one's called Too Long a Sacrifice, and it's written by Scott Tipton and David Tipton, and art by Greg Scott. So, okay, some of you guys know that we used to be over on another podcast covering books and comics, and we did talk about the first issue of this one there. But now on this show, we've decided instead of every month or every other week when a new issue of something comes out, we're going to review it. We decided we will wait until all the issues come out of a series or a miniseries. And well, of a miniseries, all the issues come out. If it's a long series, like an ongoing series, we'll chop it up into, you know, six to seven, eight issue segments or something that kind of match what they're doing with the trade paperbacks when they republish. So we're going to talk about the whole story too long a sacrifice. So, Dan, are you ready 
I am ready. And, and speaking of long, it feels like, you know, the first issue came out in August, so it actually hasn't been that long. All four issues are now out. And of course, trade paperback should be available. And uh, yeah, it seems like it's been a long time for this story, but I've, I've really been enjoying it, not least for the reason that, you know, it's Deep Space Nine. Like you said, we don't get comics like this very often. I'm really excited to talk about this story. Okay, so this story does start off with some of our favorite characters. Well, I mean, they're all our favorite characters, but definitely that whole relationship with Bashir and Garrick. They decide to meet for lunch. Actually, Garrick looks like he's running just a little late, and uh, he does show up, and they go to eat lunch at Lavin's Eatery. And they're having the typical Bashir, Garrick type of conversation. And now I'm kind of going through this fairly quickly. I'm not going to go in this great detail. But as they're in this restaurant on Deep Space Nine eating... There is a big explosion. I mean, so big that it takes two pages and has a big kaboom on the pages. And as a result of this, we find out that eight casualties are a result of this. Three Benzites, two Nausikans, two Bajorans, and one Ferengi. Surprisingly enough, and by the way, we're going into spoilers. I mean to mention that up front. But surprisingly enough, Julian and Garrick survive this now dan i was surprised at this because when there was the big kaboom i really thought that well i mean i know they didn't die but <laughs> i was surprised they actually could have lived through this i didn't know how they would have i was gonna say I, I, i'm surprised that you're surprised that that they lived because we do see them in deep space nine after this but no i get what you're saying i get what you're saying absolutely but yeah it looks as though i i think like garrick kind of shielded bashir like shoved him down and basically saved his life and Garrick gets pretty injured and Bashir's a bit injured as well. But yeah, they do survive this. This, of course, kicks off this investigation into what exactly caused this explosion. Why Why did this happen? Now, the fact that Garrick saved Bashir's life and pushed him down like that, do you think that Garrick, when you're reading this, did you think that Garrick may have known that this was going to happen? It's possible, right? I mean, he's kind of got a little bit of a history of blowing up things on the promenade, at, at least on one occasion. He blew up his own shop, right? In... Uh, Season three, great pair of a uh, two-part episode there. So, you know, it was it was kind of in the back of my mind for sure. Yeah, it definitely was in mine. But then we get a scene later where we have Odo, Dax, and O'Brien investigating the site. And then O'Brien comes to the conclusion that there was an explosive device with Sharpnel that was used. So we knew that this wasn't some kind of accident that happened from the kitchen or something, that this was something on purpose. Somebody was out to do something. Now, of course, you know, the occupation is over, but the Dominion War is happening. So there's some speculation that, you know, is this connected somehow to the Dominion War? But they also didn't think that that was the case. But they do go, Cisco and Odo do go and question Lavin, who runs the restaurant and owns it. And as they're talking with her, this got a little crazy. <laughs> well, Lavin gets a little crazy because they're asking her what they think happened. And she says she knows exactly who did it. And she screams out, it was Quark. <laughs> and I mean, the image here is insane. Yeah. And I mean, 
she's been through a, a pretty traumatic event at, at least you know that's this is what it seems at this point here and yeah but she comes across as as crazed as, as very much unhinged which i guess you know is probably understandable given what just happened but yeah she is she is right on a knife's edge here as as far as how she's reacting for sure you know it has to be said she also has kind of this this rivalry with Quark as well. I guess they're they're kind of competitors on the promenade, I suppose. So, you know, there's a bunch of bunch of factors kind of factoring into this, I guess. Yeah, and I also want to mention that she is Bajoran, so she has had this restaurant on the station during the occupation. So she's not a new establishment. There's some history there which plays into this issue a little later because, you know, how things affect her. They did do an autopsy on one of the bodies and Bashir concludes that the sharpnel is rodinium darts, which Dax says should have been detected by cargo scanners. So the idea of like, how did these darts get onto the station is a strange thing, because if they're supposed to get detected, they should have been detected. How would those have gotten to the station? So the investigation now continues from that point. And Cisco is also receiving calls from governments from those who were killed. So now I thought it gets interesting at this point, because as Odo is doing his investigation work, Worf shows up. And Worf starts accusing Odo of taking too much time and he should just arrest those who did this because you should know who did this. It had to have been the Nosigans. They're behind this attack. That's just the type of people that they are. What'd you think of that? This is the one part of this issue that I had a problem with. This is the part of the issue that I had an issue with, I guess you could say. Uh, Worf, you know, we know he's a bit aggressive and, and a bit quick to judgment sometimes and that sort of thing. But this seemed really out of character for him that he would immediately accuse the Nausicans, uh seemingly just because they're Nausicans, that, you know, they're thugs, right? They're, they're the ones that must have done this. That seemed very strange for Worf. And I mean, they did lose a couple of their brethren in the explosion as well, right? And they're pushing Odo to find out who did it as well. You know, if he has evidence and brings it to Odo, that makes more sense. But he seems to have no evidence whatsoever. He just is accusing the Nausicans because they were there, which just seemed really out of character for him, especially someone who used to be a security chief on a starship. I'm like, you should know better than this. Yeah, because he says, I fail to understand why you have been wasting time interviewing so many people rather than simply arresting those who are responsible for the bombing of the restaurant. I mean, he's already concluded they're guilty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was expecting like him to bring some evidence at that point. Like, well, Odo, you, you didn't notice this in your investigation, but we found traces of their DNA on something, something or other, blah, blah, blah. But nothing. He has nothing. Yeah. And then he later says, clearly the Nosigans are responsible. Really? <laughs> Just yeah. because they're Nosigans? <laughs> like, how is that clear? Exactly. And it was that that really threw me for sure. It did me too. I think it would have been better if he would have said something to the fact that, you know, I think you need to take a, a harder look at the Nosigans because they have a history of doing things like this. If it was something like that, like take a harder look, you're spending too much time talking to everybody, you know, maybe, but he just already found them guilty. Yeah, it, it, was, it was supremely out of character for sure. But then the Nosigans show up and then they think it's Quark and they don't have proof either. But then, you know, they kind of get in a scuffle with Worf. You know, and then Odo has to stop them from their little scuffle. And But then 
O'Brien beeps in to Odo and says, I think you better come down here. And then in the last page of this issue, we have Quark in Odo's office. And he's like, so you wanted to see me, Odo? And he's like, yes, Quark. All of a sudden, he says that, Quark, guess what we found? We found Rodinium darts in your incoming shipment. And then the last panel is Quark. What? So now we're to believe that Quark is guilty to be continued. Yeah, and I, I felt this issue is a fairly strong start to the series. You know, each issue seems to kind of end on this like dun 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 moment. And we know that Quark won't be the guilty party here, but you know, it's an interesting hook. I, th- I think this first issue definitely hooks me into trying to figure out what's going on. We start strong with the big action of the explosion and all of that, tracing the course of Odo's investigation. I think really my only problem with the issue, as I said, was that kind of little bit with Worf that seemed out of character. Yeah, I would agree. I'm in the same way. The Worf scene was a little out of character. I had an issue with that, but I thought the issue was strong at this point. So did you have any idea, any suspicion on who you thought might have caused the the explosion in the at this point? Because I think at this point... If I remember correctly, I was thinking Garrick had something to do with it. Yeah, I feel like I had no leads as to who actually did it. I feel like I thought Garrick knew something that he wasn't saying, basically. Uh, And part of that is just, you know, it's Garrick, right? He kind of knows what's going on or has some back channels and that kind of thing. I didn't think he was responsible, but I felt like he had a piece of the puzzle maybe that, that would help them figure it all out. And maybe Quark would too. Like Quark, I could see having some piece to it that he knows about, but, you know, that he wouldn't ultimately ultimately be responsible because that doesn't make any sense. And I think I also thought it was Garrick because he was there when it happened. And I thought, well, that will probably be the twist that, you know, he, he was there and met Bashir because he wanted Bashir to witness it or something. And I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we kind of revealed that it's not Garrick based on that conversation. Well, I mean, <laughs> I I, th- I think it's obvious that it's not Garrick, though, because if if it was him, if he had done it, he was guilty of the murder of eight people in season six of Deep Space Nine, and he's definitely not. Uh, at least not these eight people. <laughs> Talk to a Romulan senator and his guards or something. Yeah, maybe, may, okay, maybe them. But, like, he wouldn't still be on Deep Space Nine if he was, you know what I mean? Like, he would be in a brig kind of thing. Yeah, and I guess I should clarify. I, I guess not so much I thought he did it, but he knew who did it. and the, and Or was involved in, in some manner that, yeah. Like, because he seems to know everything, right? Mm-hmm. And even in this issue, I think it's here in issue two, which we're getting ready to start, he does make a comment about history or something, like giving a hint that it could be some somebody who has a history or, or been affected by what has happened here before. Yeah. So yeah, we start off issue two. Quark is now guilty. They kick him off. No, they didn't kick him. Of course, we know Quark is still around. So now they question Quark and Quark's like, look, this is like, I wouldn't do something like this. Yeah. I mean, I'm competing with this restaurant. But, you know, there's small-time business. I, I don't need to do anything this drastic for something small like that. So I think they kind of conclude that, yeah, Cork probably isn't involved in this. But then Bashir calls them down because Bashir has found a corpse of Kadan of the Bajoran Health Commission. And uh, his body has multiple stab wounds. So now we have a stabbing that has gone on the station. And, of course, then Odo and Worf start questioning other people. And that includes... Garrick, because 
Kedan had visited his shop before, and they thought maybe Garrick would have some information. And yeah, this is the scene that I think you're referring to when we were talking about issue number one, where Garrick does kind of intimate, intimate that there's some sort of link to uh, the station's past, right? The exact line is something... Uh, oh, here it is. Uh, I will tell you this, Mr. Odo. This station has more ta- more tales to tell than even you know, and in even longer memory. So we get kind of our first hint here that it maybe does have something to do with the dark past of the station, maybe going back to like the occupation, but definitely well before the, the, like years before this event for sure. So there's, there's definite clues here as to kind of what this might be all about. Even though we know how this ends, it makes me wonder if Garrick was aware of who was involved in this. Mm -hmm. Garrick always seems to know more than he lets on. Yeah. And I, I feel like at this point I was thinking it's it's kind of so blatant that like now I'm thinking, OK, Garrick doesn't actually know who it is or or have very much insight into it, but maybe just has an inkling or a feeling and is kind of trying to lead Odo in the right direction or something like that, if that makes sense. Like, I feel yeah. like they're putting him so front and center that I'm like, OK, I don't think Garrick knows more than he's saying. I think he just has a feeling and is kind of trying to nudge things in the right direction. Yeah, he he has a good idea of probably which direction they should be looking in. So then we have Kira. She shows up and tells Odo that Vedic Teller wants to discuss the murder of Kaydan with him. And Odo's like, I don't have time right now, but I will later. But then Worf says to Odo, hey, you know, I have an idea. Would you consider a more aggressive manner? Of questioning and Oda's like what do you have in mind and then they go to an area of deep space nine that does not look familiar to me it looks like a junkyard have we even seen this on the station before and there's guys like playing something like poker yeah i don't think so now deep space nine i feel like it partially didn't really live up to some of the the promise of what i pictured when when the show came out and I, I point to and I know there's a lot of people that make the comparisons, uh, but Babylon 5 kind of has a similar premise to Deep Space Nine. It's this huge sprawling station. And on Babylon 5, there are lower decks and, and areas that are kind of, uh, you know, people have made their homes. and They're kind of the homeless of the station. And it's kind of known as down below. And I kind of got a down below from Babylon 5 feeling from this. So, you know, I, I I feel like it kind of makes sense that Deep Space Nine would have some areas like this. Uh, and we just never really saw them on the show. But it, it doesn't really fit in with Deep Space Nine as we saw on the series. But yeah, it feels like this is kind of like, you know, an area of, of low security where people who are kind of down and out are, are hanging out and kind of the low life criminal element i think like on the show basically we just see them hanging out at quarks mostly it strikes me that there might be some places that are a little more off the beaten track that are kind of hidden like an old cargo bay or something like that which i love because of course there's budget issues in making the show and that's why we didn't see all these vast different areas of the station but it would be interesting to see more of this so we can see that there is sections of the station that we've never explored and there's just so many things that can be found there so many different little alcoves and areas and that would be really interesting to see more in a comic yeah and i mean deep space nine i think like i was saying 
earlier about kind of the the premise or the initial promise of it. And what I kind of meant by that was it was meant to be like the frontier town. Like if Star Trek is wagon train to the stars, Deep Space Nine was like the town on the frontier with the with the mayor or the governor being Cisco and and Odo being like the sheriff. And so, yeah, it makes sense that we'd see these these more seedy places uh, that we never really got in the show. One thing from this part of the story that I just want to point out, and it's like each issue has to have one little thing that I'm like, oh, darn it, that's not quite right. Worf and Odo burst in on this area. And if you look on the panel where they where they burst in, what's Odo got in his hand? He's got a phaser in his hand, which is like the one thing that Odo's always said he never, ever, ever does is, is use a weapon or have a phaser of any kind. So I was like, oh, darn it. That is interesting. I mean, that's the only time he has one. It's just in that panel. Mm-hmm. Let's just, for my head cannon, he's got a staple gun. He was doing arts and crafts <laughs> there before you they go. went down. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what it looks like. <laughs> just a little slip up. It's, it's a tiny thing. I think he's held a phaser once in the entire series, and that was when... Uh, he thought Kira was trapped in that stone, but it was actually the uh, female shapeshifter. And he does hold a phaser on her at that one moment. But that's that's the only time he wields a phaser like that. Yeah, I'm trying to make it work now. But anyway, <laughs> I, I would spend too much time. I, I was going to say maybe maybe it, somebody dropped one and he picked it up for them. <laughs> he's, he's about to hand it over. Here you go. You dropped your phaser. But anyway, uh, so yeah, they they approach these guys who are playing some illegal card game, and Worf is you know threatening them like you know oh, tell me who blah 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 you know the contraband and all this stuff, and it leads them to these two other guys that lead them to another like shuttlecraft type area or, or cargo bay or whatever it is where there's like this uh, Nosican ship, and it leads you to the Nosicans who have a knife, and so they have been involved in getting contraband here on the station and the darts and and that, which then leads them to have the conversation with Velik Teller, which they plan to do. Now, going back to the Nosikins, I don't remember why did it stop there? Like, why didn't they just assume that the Nosikins were behind the bombing? Uh, I think it's, it's basically just kind of what they say, like there's no evidence linking them to the murders. Like they've been running this smuggling ring, bringing in things for other people. So, you know, I feel like they're, they're holding them for questioning. And I think we see that in later issues. They have them and they're, they've been questioning them. They've just not been giving up any answers. But there's no evidence linking them to the actual murders, just that they helped bring the contraband in that aided the murderer yeah okay that that's true i guess i just expected a little more especially from wharf <laughs> you know see i told you odo see <laughs> <laughs> but then uh odo goes to have that conversation with vedic teller and uh they're talking about kidan who is that bajoran health commissioner we have teller telling him that kidan was a healthy and well connected person and he had ties to trade networks going back to the Cardassian occupation. And he was also a collaborator. And his trades were very important, while the Bajoran government looked the other way because his fortunes were then devoted to charities. So 
it shows that he could have a target on his back or be involved in something. Right. It, it's definitely somebody who could have been compromised, right? Or blackmailed or something like that. So it definitely opens up that way. Or like you said, he could be uh, could have been targeted initially because of his collaboration and stuff as well, for sure. Yes. And then Kira goes to visit the Ferengi trade delegation and she can't get in because they're all in this room getting drunk and they won't open the door, which I thought was kind of funny. And she had to call Odo to get him to open the door that was locked so she can get in. She gets in and they're all just partying. And she's like, okay, come on, you guys. And all of a sudden they just start coughing and choking and they all kind of pass out. She calls Odo to come down and Bashir shows up and determines that they have been poisoned. So they died right there in front of her eyes. I, I remember when I was initially reading the second issue, it felt like a whole bunch of kind of unconnected events. And I, I could kind of feel Odo's frustration because it feels like these are very disconnected and kind of not having anything to do with each other. They're all part of the same comic book story, which means they're all connected somehow. But, you know, if I was just in the middle of it, I'd be I'd be questioning what all of this had to do with the other things happening as well. Yeah. And then we also have uh, some Federation Starfleet members questioning that also. And they're giving pressure to Cisco to wrap this up, that this is these attacks are out of control. And so what they did is decide that they are going to assign a special investigator named Retlaw from the Federation Security to come and take over the investigation from Odo, but allow Odo still to work with him, but he's going to take control of the investigation. He does arrive, and he is uh, he's a Betazoid, which plays in later into issue three. Yeah, and I, I love his introduction here. Like, it's this is a recurring theme with Odo ever since season one, is like the thought that someone co could come in to replace him from Starfleet or the Federation. And this kind of plays into that a bit. I love his final line because like you say, he's a Betazoid and he's saying like, oh, answering people's questions. Clearly he can sense people's thoughts. Oh yes, uh, Major Kira, I can read Bajoran minds too. And then turns to Odo, but you, Chief of Security Odo, you remain a blank to me. It's like you're not even here. <laughs> and Odo's like, dude. <laughs> What the hell, man? He doesn't actually say that, but that's kind of the look on his face. Yeah, I know. But Oda does handle himself better than I thought. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He He's mature about the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, as we'll see in issue three, though, I think he's he's very much resenting the fact that Retlaw is here and that, you know, the Federation or Starfleet doesn't think he's good enough to uh, figure out the case. Yeah, and as you mentioned in issue three, we'll also find that Retlaw isn't all that excited about working with a changeling based on what's happening with the uh, Dominion War. And that's how issue three starts off with a flashback from Retlaw that shows him on Beta Z with his daughter and they're outside and he's playing with her and they have their dog. And all of a sudden uh, we get to a point where the Jem'Hadar are attacking Beta Z. And so he's running with his daughter to try to get her to safety and get off the planet and uh, they survive, and his wife and child are now living on Earth as he's working this job with the Federation. And so we get a little backstory about his feelings of, you know, what he thinks of the Dominion because of what they did to his family and attacking his planet. And so he has a conversation now with Odo, basically doesn't trust Odo's people, but yeah, 
Odo, I don't need to blame you for what happened that you people did. And we're just going to have to go through and try to work together through this. Mm -hmm. I love this whole bit of backstory for Retlaw because, you know, it it really cements exactly where in season six and and what's going on at the time. uh, It really cements where, when this action is taking place, like the fall of Beta Zed. I also love, and I have to give real kudos to the writers here for uh, tying it into the novel that we covered fairly recently as well on that other podcast that we used to do, uh, The Battle of Beta Zed, where the uh, the kind of occupation of Beta Zed was talked about and shown in detail, and the fact that the Cardassians were building a Teroknor-type station in orbit of Bajor, uh, Nor, which is lifted directly from that novel. You know, there's allusions to... Uh, the people suffering and he, you know, whatever they're doing on that station is horrific. And from the novel, we know that it's, you know, Krelmaset is doing horrible experiments on Betazoids and stuff. So it, I just, I was so floored by that reference and just so impressed that like, wow, these guys really did their research on that. So like it, it almost completely forgives Worf's out of character acting in issue one and, and Odo's phaser in issue two. I'm like, all right, you've gotten my goodwill from that. That's awesome. Oh, wow. There you go. <laughs> I wonder if there's going to be an issue here in issue three, one issue from you. We'll find out. But at least we got a big gold star for this. <laughs> that was awesome. And and I want to be clear when I have those little issues like that, like they're pretty minor. The Wharf one is probably the worst one just because it's so out of character, but like little things with the art and that kind of thing, uh, you know, little mistakes, it, it happens. It's not a huge deal. You know, I, I don't want to harp on the whole Wharf thing, but also going back to what you were talking about, Retlaw and Odo having these situations where somebody else is then put in charge and Odo then has to deal with it. But in the first issue, that's somewhat happening. Not that Wharf was put in charge, but then Wharf is getting involved when he doesn't need to. And I wonder if Worf is just being that way about the Nausikans because he just feels like, you know, he could do a better job and he's just trying to put Odo in his place. Like, I know what's going on. Why don't you? But maybe Worf doesn't really know. And maybe that's just his suspicion. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, also like Deep Space Nine kind of did that story a little bit on the show when Worf first arrived on the station in the episode Hippocratic Oath, where he wanted to, you know, Odo was going too slow on an investigation in Worf's mind. Interesting little side note. I'm I'm just going to go off on a little tiny rant about that episode. So in that episode, Worf was frustrated because Odo wasn't arresting this known criminal who was definitely a criminal. Uh, And then at the end of the episode, you know, Worf makes his move which derails a whole investigation Odo was doing. He was going to use this guy to get to the bottom of this whole smuggling ring that was operating out of all of these different planets. And I was like, wait a minute. Odo is the security chief for Deep Space Nine. His job is to keep the peace and stuff on Deep Space Nine. Worf is the strategic operations officer for the sector. Wouldn't that actually be Worf's job to take down a smuggling ring that's operating on a bunch of planets in the in the neighborhood? And Odo's job would be just to arrest this one guy? Anyway, minor, minor thing, but I was just like, every time that episode comes up, I'm like, I think Odo's actually in Worf's jurisdiction there. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. And I think we've now identified your one issue with that episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Every Star Trek episode will have at least one issue. <laughs> <laughs> and every Except comic too. 
<laughs> yeah, so now we have Retlaw and Odo talking about what Retlaw's role has been in this position, uh, working for the Federation for Federation Security, and the fact that he, you know, he's a he's a betazoid. So, you know, he can use telepathy and read people's minds, but it doesn't always work on some people, and then he's not always allowed to use it. But this is one of those special cases he's given the right to go ahead and do this. He can go ahead and use this in this investigation. So anyway, it's a nice little exchange that they're not going to just walk into the station and look at somebody and Rutlaw goes, well, that's him. I read his mind. I, I found it interesting. I, I actually thought this would delve into that issue a bit more, just the idea of the legality of all of this and that sort of thing. Like when he says, you know, there are laws about not using telepathy in criminal investigations and what evidence can be uh, used or not, actually. And again, I'm bringing up Babylon 5. Babylon 5 has very clear laws about how telepaths can be used in criminal investigations and whether or not can, it can be used as evidence in a trial and all that sort of stuff. And I thought we'd get a little bit more of a discussion of that here when he says, you know, there have been a handful of cases where I've been granted a special dispensation to exceed those limits if necessary. And I was like, okay, well, who grants that exception and, and why is that okay? You know, like, I thought there'd be a little bit more of a kind of a moral or ethical discussion about that sort of thing, but it, it really does kind of leave that behind and doesn't deal with it beyond that single conversation. Yeah, there's only so many pages, I guess, and they had to move on. Yeah. Because so, <laughs> yeah, after this, we have yet another murder that Bashir finds, which I never at this point thought this until now, but I was like, well, maybe Bashir is the one that's <laughs> behind the explosion because he's the one who's finding all the dead bodies for the most part. <laughs> so yeah, he finds two more Ferengi and they were killed by poison darts. And these two Ferengi were sent by the Grand Nagus to help with the investigation. So now they're killed. And I also thought there was an interesting conversation between Retlaw and Odo of the fact that Cardassian stations don't really use security cameras. Because this is something, I'm glad this was put here in the comic. Because there's so many times I watch Star Trek, and I've never talked about this, but all the times that there's something going on a ship, like something's murdered or something has happened and they're trying to figure out well, who did it or what happened. It's like, wouldn't there be like security cameras like everywhere? Like, do they even have security cameras on starships? I mean, we now know they don't have them on the space station for Deep Space Nine. Yeah. There's so many times that I feel like the technology in Star Trek is intentionally hampered to make plots more interesting. And I mean, obviously that happens, right? Uh, the biggest one for me, and, and not exactly like you're saying, but kind of related, is whenever someone re removes their comm badge and leaves it somewhere, and then, you know, computer, locate, whatever. So-and-so is located in whatever, and it's just their comm badge sitting there. I'm like, the computer is not smart enough to detect that the person removed their comm badge and then left. Like, that's the only way it has to track people and it doesn't know when it's been taken off and left somewhere. Like, that seems ridiculous. <laughs> like, I feel like a computer system nowadays that was using things to track people would be able to figure that out, you know? So yeah, there's the fact that there's no security cameras and stuff. It's a bit of a, of a cheat. It's also something we've uh, seen in Deep Space Nine before, because Odo does review security camera footage in his office, but there have been times like... Uh, when, you know, there was graffiti on a certain part of the station and Otis says, oh, this is a low security area. There's no monitoring and, you know, that kind of thing. So kind of makes sense. It fits in what we've seen, but it's still kind of like, really? 
hmm, you'd think the computer would be a little better at figuring this stuff out. Yeah. Then you've got areas that are more public and maybe there are security cameras on starships on Deep Space Nine, but they're not going to be everywhere. I mean, people do need their privacy. Mm -hmm. That's true, for sure. So anyway, to move on from there, we have Retlaw interviewing Quark and he's continuing his re-interviews interviewing people that Odo have has already interviewed. He then uses his telepathy on one of the Nausikans and comes up with the name of Ensign Coleman Schroeder. So it's like, ooh, we've got somebody from Starfleet that's involved here. So they go and meet with Schroeder and point out that he was always on duty at flight control when the Nausikin ships would arrive. And then O'Brien uncracked the coding he did to cover up the extra shipments, the coding that Schroeder did. So obviously Schroeder is guilty and involved in this. Yeah, I was kind of surprised, but I guess, you know, I, I shouldn't put anybody of, above sp- suspicion, right? But like a Starfleet officer involved in this? My word, like how could it be? But... Yeah, this guy seems to have uh, been compromised somehow, which is definitely an interesting development. And the fact that he's the person who's on flight control duty, that's pretty damning evidence that, you know, he's allowing these ships in with the the contraband and it's always on his watch. So, yeah, very interesting. And again, at this point, I'm like, okay, how is this all going to come together? You know, it's going to make sense, but, you know, we're getting little pieces, but not a full picture yet. Now, I remember at one point then, Retlaw says that he can't read Schroeder, which he says never happened to him before. But I don't recall ever finding out why he can't read Schroeder. I don't think they explained that. I think it was just kind of a necessity of the plot, which, yeah, that's a little frustrating now that you mention it. I hadn't thought of it. But yeah, I don't think they ever come up with like the reason why that is. And he's very frustrated, right? says, I don't understand it. I've never been unable to read someone like that. You know, it's just kind of, and then it's just dismissed. And Odo says, well, if you can't read his mind, maybe we can get somewhere by following some other evidence, like his movements and track his comm badge and stuff. But yeah, they never come back to that. Yeah. I mean, they should have at least made him some kind of alien where Retlaw says, you know, sometimes I can read them and sometimes I can't or something like that, or, you know, mm-hmm. but just to, you know, he's, I guess, I think he's human, right? I mean, Coleman Schroeder is a human name. He looks human. Yeah. Why couldn't he read him? That's yeah. Really interesting. And I mean, not to just immediately judge the guy, but he doesn't seem like the like person with an impressive amount of mental discipline. <laughs> like he doesn't, he doesn't seem like an impressive mental specimen, if that makes sense. You know, I, I'm not really impressed by his mental prowess, so I don't know why he would be able to evade a scan like that. Okay. Well, that's my issue with this issue. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't an issue before, but now now it is because I hadn't caught that. But you're absolutely right. Well, anyway, Odo and Retlaw are back visiting with Garrick and Garrick shows them security footage of Schroeder meeting with Vedic Teller in his shop. And I think it's funny, too, because then Retlaw even calls out, I thought there weren't security cameras on the station. Well, there are some. They're just not everywhere. There's a few around. (laughs) So, of course, Garrick's going to have one, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you've got to watch out for shoplifters, you know, of course. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that's just a typical Garrick thing, like when he cracks into a computer system or something. 
And Bashir's like, Garrick, how did you ever learn how to do that? Oh, you'd be surprised the things you learn while hemming women's dresses. <laughs> it's just like Garrick, like, oh, it's just because of this. But yeah, we know those cameras are there for reasons other than just to catch shoplifters. He, he's a, yeah, there's more to him than They're, just that. Yeah. Obviously. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then Odo and Retlaw confront uh, Venick Teller then and tell him that they see that he and Kanan were in business together and that they've seen the footage of him meeting with Ensign Schroeder. And that's pretty much where this issue ends because uh, we have Retlaw saying to the Venick, well, Venick, what do you have to say to that? I do want to say one thing right before that, too, is there's an attempt on, on the life of... Odo and Retlaw by who presumably the killer, these two darts come out of nowhere and thunk thunk into the wall. And I might have a second issue with this issue because without giving too much away, we see the delivery system for those darts and you have to be fairly close by (laughs) to shoot them. So why doesn't Retlaw sense whoever it is? Hmm. Maybe Retlaw isn't is losing his abilities because <laughs> he can't sense the ensign. He can't sense the person nearby. I don't know. I mean, I really wish they would have played with that in the story. Yeah. That he's having issues. Maybe, yeah, like he's emotionally distraught over what's happening on Beta Z and, and can't concentrate properly or something. That's kind of maybe in my head now of, of why this is happening. Yeah. I don't know. I wish, and maybe we're missing something. Well, anyway, so we get to issue four, and we have Vedic Teller allowing Retlaw to scan him using his telepathy abilities, and Retlaw says that Teller didn't do it. So he's not guilty. He wasn't involved. So Odo decides to look at some records of Schroeder's movements around the station, and then a little light bulb goes off in his head and he decides that it's time for him and Retlaw to go have some lunch at Lavin's. So now we're back to the scene of the original crime where the explosion occurred and the restaurant is back to normal again. It's all been put together and like it was like months ago. Yeah, Cisco, you know, promised that uh, the reconstruction would be a priority and he he's a man of his word. And, and yeah, it's a little surprising it's back up so quickly, but I guess when you've got replicators and and stuff that kind of makes sense i guess it wouldn't take that long you'd think maybe they'd keep it open for for a crime scene investigation maybe longer rather than moving in the work crews right right away but that's okay we'll let that slide yeah it makes me wonder how much time has taken place through this these issues you Mm -hmm. know has it been a few days has it been a week a couple of weeks it's probably like at least been a few weeks if you think about like the travel time for the the detective and stuff and like when starfleet would have said okay this is getting nowhere send that guy kind of thing yeah that's kind of what i'm thinking too when teller talks about how awful the cardassian occupation was to Odo, Odo realizes that Lavin was also around during that time, the woman who runs the restaurant and is serving them. And when Lavin approaches the table, Retlaw reads her mind about Kadan betraying the Bajorans while playing the Frankie and the Cardassians against each other to line his own pockets. And we see in I guess, reading her mind, which is also kind of flashbacks, that she had become romantically involved with Ensign Schroeder because she was using him to lure her victims. Now it makes me wonder, could she have done anything to make it so that he can't read Schroeder's mind? But then 
why can he read hers? Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the part where I'm like, this this Ensign Schroeder guy doesn't seem like a, a huge mental giant. Like, right. He's being manipulated and, and does illegal things for this person. And I don't know. I just, that doesn't strike me as someone who would be really adept with their brain to use their brain doing something that he's going to obviously eventually be caught at. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, she then determines that she now knows that, Oh my gosh, he's reading my mind and she runs off with a knife and really things go crazy around the station. They're chasing her around the station. She's got a knife at some people's throats. She gets away. She blasts through a wall and she grabs a phaser. And, you know, Odo's forming a big hand to grab her. There's a lot going on here. There's I'd like to see more of the station that we haven't seen before in this chase scene. But it's <laughs> the typical places. <laughs> I love that we even get like part of this chase scene is like through the, the kitchen of the restaurant. Because that yeah. seems to be like a scene that's in every you know, action movie where there's, there's a criminal on the run or something. They seem to run through the kitchen all the time past the chefs and all of that. I don't know why that's just like a recurring image. And I love that we have that here with, you know, even people with chef hats and big pots and going like, Oh, what's going on? (laughs) I just, I love that for some reason. (laughs) Me too. I love it. Well, they eventually catch up to her and she's losing her breath into quarks. <laughs> and so they're able to get her after she's confined. Bashir says that her anger over her brother's murder during the occupation left her seeking revenge. And that was the only thing she lived for. And I like that then there was an exchange about, well, you know, other people lost loved ones during the occupation. Why aren't they going insane and going around trying to kill people for revenge? And it's like, well... You know, there's just people deal with things differently. Some get all consuming and others don't. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me this like really turns into kind of an examination of trauma and PTSD and that kind of thing, which is interesting because that's kind of a lot of the theme that Star Trek Discovery is doing in this current season as well. So I, I love that there's you know, a bit of exploration of what the the effects of something like the Cardassian occupation has on people and how those scars carry through across the years and can, can manifest themselves in these different ways. And while Bashir is explaining this, in the background behind him, Retlaw is going through trauma as well because yes. of what's happening on Beta Z. So, you know, there's these parallels that history is repeating itself. And Bashir particularly says those with more empathy, those more sensitive to the feelings of others, they can be the ones most deeply affected. And of course, as Retlaw says, Beta Z is a planet full of people that are extremely sensitive to the feelings of others, of empaths and telepaths. So, you know, what effect is that occupation going to have on the Betazoids? And I thought that was a really interesting note to uh, kind of leave us on there. Absolutely. Which really does take us to the last couple pages. And of course, Retlaw and Odo are now happy with one another. Retlaw congratulates Odo on the investigation and does apologize to him for misjudging him with the same blind hatred that affected Lavin. Overall impression, Dan, of the four issues. Definitely favorable impression of these. I, I enjoyed this story Deep Space Nine is a series that can allow you to dive deep into situations that, you know, maybe don't necessarily fit as well in other Star Trek series. And a lot of this, I I feel like these issues used that setting really well. 
I like that we get to see this kind of seedy underbelly of Deep Space Nine and the fact that we're dealing with lots of civilians coming and going and that kind of thing, rather than like the sanitized environment of a starship where you really couldn't do a story quite like this. And, you know, I think some of the original characters were really interesting. I liked the story delves into like the occupation and the scars left behind by that and, and what it has turned people into over the years. Uh, and also Retlaw and Odo, I think, made an interesting team in the last two issues. I, I would love to see like a Retlaw Odo buddy buddy cop show. <laughs> you know, I think yeah. that'd be a lot of fun. I think there's some weak points in them, mostly strong stuff. I'm enjoying the character work. I'm enjoying the kind of piecing the clues together and stuff. At times I was wondering, is this like a big enough story to have a four issue miniseries about? But it's it's a good enough story. It's well-written enough that I was really along for the ride on it. I agree with you because it felt more like an episode. It wasn't compacted all in one issue where it felt would feel so rushed. You know, it had a good pace to it. I mean, I think four issues was the perfect length for this. Maybe you could have get away with three with it. But I think four was, was a good number. And we did get to see most of the crew have some role in the comic throughout. But yeah, I think it's a good story for Odo. It's a good opportunity for Odo to show that he can do the job. And he's proving that to Federation security. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was another thing I found interesting was Federation security, not Starfleet. Yeah, it was definitely definitely cool to get a civilian take on that instead of another officer coming in. Yeah. And I never... I mean, I didn't spend a lot of time trying to think who did the explosion and who was behind all this, uh, but I did think it was interesting that it was Lavin that did it, that she almost sacrificed her own life. I mean, she was able to hide in the kitchen during the explosion, but she could have gotten killed too. So she was just that crazily insane to get her revenge that she would do almost anything and destroy her own restaurant, which I guess is a good cover because no one would expect anybody to destroy their own restaurant. Which is funny now that I think about it, Garrick blew up his own shop and Lavin blew up her own restaurant. So there's like a very exclusive club of Deep Space Nine people that just blow up their own stuff. You've got to keep an eye on Quark. He's going to blow up the bar or something. <laughs> well, everything comes in threes, so it's going to be somebody. Oh, no, <laughs> you're right. Well, well, Keiko's Keiko's school blew up, but she didn't do it herself. <laughs> or maybe she did <gasps> dun 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 no <laughs> so yeah i would i really enjoyed this i give this four rhodian darts out of five mm, that's a really good rating yeah um i i definitely agree with you on a lot of counts i think uh it definitely deserves a high rating i'm gonna give it four seedy looking back alley areas of deep space nine out of five that we never got to see in the show (laughs) nice sweet so there you go uh is this the first comic miniseries we've done here on positively trek well we've never done a comic miniseries before on the show we did do the one-shot comic hell's mirror a few weeks back but uh, yeah this is the first miniseries we've done i also want to comment a little bit on the timing of this because we're recording this i think it's it's either exactly one year or one day after the one year uh, anniversary since Rene Auberjon was passing. 
So that's been on my mind the last few days. People have been posting that we're coming up to this milestone and stuff. And I really love this story as a celebration of Odo and just like the kind of character he was and what he stood for and how meticulous an investigator and that sort of thing he was. So I thought it was really fitting and really interesting that the story focused on him, especially given uh, just what happened fairly recently. I'm glad you mentioned that. I didn't even think about that. It didn't even occur to me, but that's, that's a good point. Uh, the fact that we don't get that many Deep Space Nine comics and that this is a year that they decide to do one for that reason, because of Renee's death, it's it's a great idea to focus on Odo. I don't know if that was the reason they did this, but it wouldn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if anybody hasn't read it, well, now you know the story. You know who done it at the end. <laughs> if you want to read it, go go check it out. It's a good read. And the artwork, I really enjoyed the artwork too. I, th- I thought it was really good. Yeah, excellent artwork. A couple times where, I don't know, some of the action stuff, I feel like the artist didn't quite, I, I feel like they're a little better with the still shots of characters and, and more sedate rather than the more action-packed sequences. But it, it definitely has this quality to it that feels like kind of a detective noir story, which I really appreciated. I thought it was a really good style fitting the subject of the comics. Yeah, no, that's a good point, too. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed it for that reason. That being said, uh, oh, we, let's go ahead and say what we're going to cover next time, because I find this really interesting. The next novel that we're doing. Yeah, I'm really interested in it as well. It's uh, it's a very early Bantam novel, which I've never really read any of the Bantam novels. This one by James Blish, and it is Spock Must Die. So uh, yeah, really fascinated for this one. Short novel, not a long read. So if you have a way of getting your hands on it, pick it up, read it. You can probably read it in an afternoon or two. Yeah, I'm really excited to get into it. I am too. I've been wanting to go back to a Bantam book since we started recording on literary tracks because we've never done that. I've read probably half the Bantam novels. Not a big fan of most of them. I did read Spock Must Die years ago when I started reading books back in the 90s. I mean, I've been reading books all my life. I mean, Star Trek books. And uh, I think I read it a second time years later just because I was curious to read it again and see what I thought. So this will be my third time reading this book. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, this is absolutely my first time. It's been on my shelf for quite a while. I have no memory whatsoever of, of where and when I got it, but I've had it for a long time. Never read it. Yeah, mine was a reprint. I mean, most of them out there are, but I mean, it was a brand new, like I found in a you know bookstore somewhere. It wasn't a used bookstore. Hmm, interesting. I think I looked at mine and it was like something like the 19th reprint or 14th or something published in 1989 and the original novel was published in 1970 so okay so that version because i saw you post a picture of it that's the version i have and i would have bought it maybe just a year or two after 89 because i started reading the novels in 90 and i remember buying this early on so oh, it's wow. probably the same one but mine's in much better condition than yours <laughs> yeah mine's mine's pretty scratched up and i feel like i got it that way like i don't it's been on my shelf i haven't read it or anything so i feel like i got it in that condition yeah you're not throwing it around the house no (laughs) no well when you're not throwing books around the house dan where can people find you well you can find me on twitter i'm at kurtrats that's k-e-r-t-r-a-t-s 
You can also find me on youtube.com slash Productions, where I make videos all about Star Trek, mostly Star Trek Discovery at the moment, but also other stuff. Um, Instagram, Kurtratz47 on Instagram, if you want to see that picture of my uh, novel Spock Must Die. So, yeah. And you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and you can find me on Instagram at Admiral Rex, and you can find me hanging around in our Facebook discussion group. So look for Positively Trek on Facebook. You can email us at PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. You can even email me at Admiral underscore Rex at yahoo.com. And uh, you can also find me occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast. So there you go. Another show in the can. Thanks everyone for joining us. And we'll see you again next week on our review of Discovery episode, what are we at, nine? Episode nine, yeah. There we go. So we'll see you on that one. And then in two weeks, we'll talk about Spock Must Die. So even though Spock Must Die, we hope you stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.